This is a special edition of the RTI Press Pass powered by Rocky Top Insider. Here are your hosts, Jack Foster and Ryan Shumper. Arguably a new best player in the transfer portal, and it comes from Tennessee as Tennessee's Chase Burns has entered the transfer portal as of Tuesday morning here on June 27th. It's the Rocky Top Insider Press Pass Baseball Podcast. I'm your host, Jack Foster, joined alongside Ryan Shumpert. Going to be reacting to Burns entering the transfer portal, as well as some additional offseason notes here, specifically transfer notes, as well as just looking at what the Vols need to get in the transfer portal here as we move along in the offseason. Ryan, how we doing a lot? How we doing on this Tuesday morning? I'm doing well. I'm doing well. It was uh, an early Tuesday morning. I was fortunate to uh, have an early alarm set and uh, around 7.20 and got up and there was immediately work to be done. As Chase Burns uh, planned to get in the transfer portal and uh, Tony Vitello was on sports animal this morning with John Wilkerson and Vince Ferrara and kind of confirmed that news and, and talked about it a little bit, not at length. So plenty to get to and what, you know, has quickly become a uh, news field or uh, a lot of stuff going on in the off season, I guess is the best way to, to say what I'm trying to say. Yeah. There's been a lot of movement for Tennessee, a lot of uh, movement from the bullpen as far as departures go. And we're going to get to a lot of those notes, but Burns is the big one. And it's the one we're going to start with here. Ryan, there are, there was plenty of buzz that Chase Burns was going to enter the transfer portal. This is not surprising. We saw this coming, but stripping it down, strip all the buzz down and just take it for what it is. Chase Burns entering the transfer portal when I think he was going to be a starter in 2024. And given the fact that he was so good in the bullpen and Tennessee won down the stretch like this, are you surprised that Burns is transferring? No, I wouldn't say I'm surprised just because of what you said. I mean, there's been talk about it for. Hours. That's what I'm saying. Like, strip down all the buzz, all the th- all the preconceived notions that you knew it was going to happen. Just in and of itself, are you well, surprised it's happened? Well, I think that's hard to do to strip all that down. But yeah, I mean, if I'm saying I haven't heard anything about Chase Burns entering the transfer portal, I would say yes, it's surprising. If you're a Oklahoma State baseball fan who, you know, isn't following. I mean, there's been some natural national buzz about Burns, too. Obviously, some of it coming uh, over the weekend. But if I'm an Oklahoma State baseball fan, then, yeah, that would be really surprising just because Because. yeah, was so good, uh, you know, down the stretch of the season. And, you know, I would say Paul Skeen's probably the best pitcher or was the most impressive pitcher in the NCAA tournament. But Burns was pretty close, you know, pretty close second. I think it was uh, what ended up being, I think, 16 innings. Uh, pitched in the postseason and he allowed just one run and struck out like 26 so he was dominant down the stretch of the season and I think from you know that facet of it uh, certainly it it was you know a surprising move yeah and Tony Vitello's quote on this was really interesting he said you know he had a couple quotes but this one stuck out to me he goes that one you ask about is you know Burns transferring it's pretty straightforward we've known that he would be gone for a while but the good case to be careful about what you read on Twitter because like I said that one has been pretty straightforward so the coaching staff saw this coming for a while do you think that this all kind of started when he got you know I don't want to say demoted but moved to the bullpen out of the starting rotation say that again do you think this all kind of started like to where you know yes Burns gonna transfer after the move to the bullpen yeah I definitely think that's where it all started and you know where they're were some hard feelings uh, and, you know, some people in Burns camp, I don't think we're, we're happy about that move. And, you know, I think when you look at it now, it's, you know, it's pretty illogical 
to be mad at that because, you know, we all watched Burns was really, really poor in the start of SEC play this year as Tennessee's Saturday starter. You know, I think it was 23 earned runs he gave up in 17 innings in a pitch, his first four SEC appearances, which were all starts. So, what, he's getting a little bit over four innings and outing and uh, giving up, what, a little bit under six runs. So, uh, ERA plus over nine. So, it was a move Tennessee really had to make. Um, and, you know, I think this was kind of maybe what you were getting at a little bit. The original question of being surprised about it, you you figured that, you know, how well the rest of Tennessee's season went and how well Burns performed in the bullpen and how big of a role he had. And I think that, you know, Tony Vitello had a quote about that this morning that kind of got to that where he was saying, you know, he's one of the most popular pitchers in the country. Even though he was a bullpen guy, you know, what I just said, I think everybody who follows college baseball would agree with where he was one of the best pitchers in the country in the NCAA tournament. Everybody knew who Chase Burns was and knew how good Chase Burns was. And typically winning, typically success uh, heals those wounds. And, you know, it winning solves all or, you know, whatever, whatever the line is. Uh, but obviously that case, it wasn't able to smooth things over enough with, with Burns' party. And even though I think it was very likely that he would have been a starter for Tennessee next season, he wants to go uh, somewhere else and do that. Yeah, and I know NIL plays a part in all these transfer portal moves and stuff, and we don't know the details behind any NIL deals or stuff like that, but it definitely is going to play a part somehow. But just looking at the uh, bullpen move for Burns, do you think that raised his stock? I mean, he was not pitching well in a starting role, and then he moved to the bullpen, and like you said, became one of the best pitchers in the country due to that move, I think. So just looking at it from Burns' standpoint, I mean, don't you think the move helped him in the long run? Yeah, it helped him because he was a lot better. And I think it's hard not to make a direct correlation between those two things because he, granted, it was a low leverage situation, his first bullpen appearance at Arkansas the week after he got removed from the, the starting rotation, but he was good there. And besides the South Carolina, you know, game two against South Carolina when he was really, really bad, he was basically good in all his appearances once he moved to the bullpen. And I guess it was two weeks after he kind of broke onto the scene and helped change Tennessee's season with how good he was against Vanderbilt in game one. So, I think just the fact that he was a lot better very much, you know, raised his stock or, you know, I don't think his stock probably plummeted. I think we've seen that kind of with Chase Dolander this year where Chase Dolander did not have a very good year and mm -hmm. he's still going to be a top 15 pick in the, in the MLB draft. So I think even if Chase Burns with his struggles, you know, probably would have been projected as a first round pick next year, but certainly him getting back to the form we saw his freshman year helped raise that stock. And, you know, to the question, and I think it raised that stock because he was better and he was better because he was out of the bullpen. So the question of is him showing that out of the bullpen, you know, does that improve his stock of maybe being a guy that comes in immediately uh, and kind of does what Garrett Crochet could do or, you know, Ben Joyce has done or uh, heck what I think, you know, if Paul Skeens had got, goes to a contender, he won't. He'll be one of the first two pitchers in the draft. But if Paul Skeens goes to, would have gone to a contender in the MLB draft, what he could do, which is basically go straight to the bullpen and not go play minor league baseball, probably a little bit, uh, but I think, as a whole, it's just more about him getting back to the Chase Burns we saw in this freshman season and showing that he can be one of the most dominant pitchers at the college level. Let's move to let's move our discussion to focusing on the Tennessee side of things. On a scale of one to ten, how much of a concern is this that Burns is leaving? That's a good question. I mean, I think five. It's to me, it's it's hard to find a balance here of. Chase Burns is a huge loss. I mean, he's, yeah. he, there's just no getting around it. I mean, he's one of the best best pitchers in the country. Like what you just said, in the NCAA tournament, he was one of the best two or three pitchers at worst. I mean, I think it's fair to say that considering all the departures from the draft or eligibility or whatever, 
when you looked at Tennessee's 2024 roster, Chase Burns was the best player on it, in my opinion. I would agree with that. Yeah. So, I, I mean, you're, you could argue you're losing your best player here. Yeah. And I, you know, pitcher's the most, you know, important position. Uh, obviously, it's hard to decipher it completely. You're not on the field every day, but, you know, pitching wins and pitching has been the recipe for the Tennessee baseball program. So, yeah, I mean, I think that's completely accurate. I'd say he's Tennessee's best, would have been Tennessee's best player going into next season. And it's a massive, massive loss. At the same time, I just think Tennessee's going to be fine. And maybe it should be, maybe I should put it six or a seven, but, you know, I, I fall to five just because of, to me, what, I guess it's not a fact, but my opinion, I feel strongly about the Tennessee is going to be solid at pitcher. They're going to lose a lot of good guys this year. You're going to lose Andrew Lindsay. Uh, they're going to lose Chase Dolander. They're going to lose Camden Sewell. Uh, okay. They're going to lose Seth Halverson. Yeah. Paul uh, um, Fanning entered the, the portal, who's a guy I think really could have helped them out of the bullpen next year. So there's big losses there without a shadow of a doubt. And Tennessee's got work to do in the transfer portal to replace those guys. But I feel good about so many young guys on Tennessee's roster. I feel good about Wyatt Evans coming back from injury. I feel good about Drew Beam, who was really honestly overshadowed by how good Chase yeah. Burns was down the stretch of the season because he was the best he's pitched in two years at Tennessee, too, in the NCAA tournament. Uh, and when you combine that with uh, they already got the cozy kid coming in from Jacksonville State, I think they'll add a handful of more pitchers or at least a few more pitchers in the portal. And I trust Frank Anderson. I mean, Tennessee all but one year – uh, Tony Vitello has been here with Frank Anderson. They've been top 20 in the country in Team ERA. They've been top 10 in the country in Team ERA the last three years. So uh, I think uh, I think Tennessee will be fine there. But at the same time, I think Tennessee's pitching will be good. But it's it's a huge loss, and I don't think there's really any getting around anything you can say to get around the fact that Chase Burns one of the best pitchers in the country. Yeah, when you look at Tennessee's potential starting rotation in 2024, I feel like Beam and Russell are the top two candidates for what's on the roster right now. Of course, Beam is a lock. I feel like Russell, all all things considered, may be a lock too right now. But do you think that third starter, if you just had to guess right now on June 27th, I know it's a little bit difficult to do, but do you think it's going to be a transfer? Or do you think Wyatt Evans could be that guy to come back and just be really, really good coming off of injury? I'm glad you brought up Wyatt Evans because he would be – to me, the most obvious candidate of yes. those already on Tennessee's roster to step into that role. But with that being said, I, you know, I would, if you made me bet, I'd bet it's going to be a transfer. I think they'll bring someone in from the portal uh, that'll be good enough to earn that spot. And certainly there'll be competition there. And, you know, I feel good about AJ Russell grabbing one of those spots because he was so good this year, but no one other, no one besides Drew Beam is going to be penciled into a starting spot for Tennessee when they get, everyone gets back to campus in the fall and the newcomers arrive and they go to work. So uh, it's going to be a lot of competition. You know, if I were guessing, like you said, if you made me bet on it, I'd bet AJ Russell wins one of those spots and uh, I'd bet one of the transfers they end up bringing in wins the other. There you have it. So the other pitchers to have entered the transfer portal, we mentioned well, Hollis. One last thing I'll say right, on Burns. Yeah, go ahead. And this is just, I mean, you we've kind of danced around this fact. Uh, so it's not like a, this is any new revelation. I think I've said this to you off the record in the past couple of weeks when, you know, we've just been talking about the possibility of Burns entering the portal. At the end of the day, no no one in Tennessee wanted Chase Burns to leave. It's a huge loss like we've talked about. But the move that Tennessee made to Tony Vitello and Frank Anderson and Richard Jackson and all the coaches made to go from to remove Chase Burns from the weekend rotation and put Andrew Lindsay into the starting rotation specifically on Friday night, it saved Tennessee's season. It changed Tennessee's season. And it got him to Omaha. And at the end of the day, uh, if you ask anyone in Tennessee, and I think Tony Vitello kind of hinted to that too in his quote today, uh, and the sports animal, 
if Tennessee had to trade Chase Burns final year of eligibility for a trip to Omaha, you take that trade a hundred times out of a hundred. It's really tough to lose a pitcher of that caliber, but the move that made Chase Burns mad and forced Chase Burns or didn't force Chase Burns, but led Chase Burns to entering the transfer portal was one of the best moves Tony Vitello has made from a pure coaching standpoint in his five years at Tennessee. So I, or heck, six years at Tennessee now. Mm -hmm. uh, so I think it's, it's hard. While it's a tough break, it's hard not to think that, you know, Tennessee did what was best for the team. They did what was best for the program. It worked out. And uh, this was just, you know, an unfortunate, unfortunate consequence of that. No, that's a good point to look at it that way. You know, like I think you said it perfectly trade Chase Burns final year or a trip to Omaha. You're probably going to take a trip to Omaha any day of the week, especially a win in Omaha too. So just to even, you know, go off of that too, which Burns was great at that win against Stanford. So, yeah. you know, it all co comes full circle a little bit, but, Moving on to the other transfers, I mentioned Hollis Fanning. That's probably the biggest one outside of Burns because, as Ryan said a little bit, I really thought that Hollis Fanning was going to be a pretty solid bullpen piece in 2024. I mean, you figure he's only going to grow a little bit more. He looked pretty good this year, much better than he did in 2022. So did what about the Hollis Fanning transfer? I know it's not obviously in the same stratosphere as Burns, but your thoughts on that move? Yeah, it was surprising. You, know, you asked me about surprising with Burns. This one surprised me when uh, I think Mike Wilson with the New Sentinel reported it first yesterday. And yeah, it was, it would have just been more, more than anything. I think this would have been interesting to see him in a bigger role and see what that would have looked like. Cause I mean, he was dominant last year. He pitched 14 innings, 1.26 ERA. A lot of those appearances, you know, the vast majority of those innings, not really almost all those innings weren't in high leverage situations. A lot of those innings weren't in, you know, against SEC quality opponents. So a lot of that numbers are, you know, maybe a little bit, I don't know if stat padding is the right word, but, you know, he, he chalked him up against, you know, lesser opponents. But his stuff is really good. And you know, he looked really impressive. I remember it was like, I think it was Friday game at Georgia when Tennessee was killing him and he came in and pitched the ninth inning. And we, that was probably the first time, and I'm saying this about looking at Hollis Fanning's uh, stats on the season. I would guess it's the first time we saw him in SEC play, and it was like, yeah, just you know, it is. I knew who Hall's, yeah, I knew who Hall's fanning was. Obviously, he's been in the program for years. He's kind of been an afterthought, and it's like, man, this dude looks good. You know, <laughs> this guy, you know, he looks like someone that could help him down the stretch. And Tennessee's pitching depth was so good that they didn't really need him to help him down the stretch. But when you talk about losing all the guys that you know we talked about a few minutes ago, it's hard not to say, you know, look at Point Dallas fanning as one of, you know, the top four, five, six guys that Tennessee's returning and think, yeah, he can really help them and is going to be in a competition for a bigger role. So uh, I think it's definitely a loss and certainly is one that surprised me. How about this set? Hollis Fanning was the only Tennessee pitcher to appear in an SEC game last year that did not give up a run. How about that? How many How many appearances did he have? Three. Three, pitched, okay. Uh, 1.2 innings, struck out four, um, allowed two hits, but no runs. Yeah, AJ Russell, AJ Russell, good. and Zach Joyce each allowed one. <laughs> okay, AJ Russell did it in ten innings. Though. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean it's AJ. I mean we've talked about it uh, again off the record. We maybe touched it on this season inning podcast. Like I don't know, it just kind of seemed a little bit befuddling that AJ Russell never got a bigger role. And granted, Tennessee had such good pitching depth, but it was like every task, every challenge, ever every opportunity. They got presented to A.J. Russell over the course of the season. He answered the bell and was really, really good. So I think it's really hard not to be uh, super excited about him uh, with a full offseason and the strength program with Quentin Eberhardt and uh, a chance to be a Tennessee weekend starter next year. Yep, absolutely. I think he will be too. Um, Jake Fitzgibbons, Jacob Bimby, 
Bimby's been in the portal for a minute. Fitzgibbons, uh, not as long, but he's been in a couple weeks too. A couple lefty arms, not surprising here. They were probably not going to have a big role for Tennessee. Fitzgibbons, you've seen what he can do. Bimby thought he was going to be a dude this past year, didn't manifest. But a loss of two lefty arms, I think that's important to note. You do have Evans coming back. Do you think a left-handed, you know, left-handed pitching should be something Tennessee should be focusing on in the transfer portal more specifically? I think it is, and, but you know, to this point, the names I've heard from a pitching standpoint, I really haven't heard a ton of lefties. There was the, oh, I'm blanking on his name, maybe Locklear, uh, an L last name, the kid from Xavier, uh, who Tennessee was recruiting hard, committed to LSU, uh, and I think he would have been a guy that would come in, and especially with with Burns leaving, you know, would have been a great candidate to start for Tennessee, but obviously going to LSU for so that's beside the point, but. I do think that's somewhere, you know, Tennessee will focus. I would be still be surprised if they don't add at least one left-handed arm uh, in the portal. But, you know, when you look at the guys that have left, to me, those those aren't really concerns. Uh, right. You know, Fitzgibbons hadn't fully put it together. Uh, you know, who knows uh, if either of those two guys would have stepped up. I guess you can't rule it out that they step up and, and – claim a role a real weekend bullpen role going forward but they had so many opportunities to this year and really neither of them were close to breaking through I mean Kirby Cannell was obviously ahead of both of them Xander Seacrest got you know innings ahead of both of them I think Wyatt Evans if healthy would have been above all of them granted uh so it just kind of points out the need for left-handed pitching for Tennessee um but I don't think it's you know I don't foresee even if if Bimby uh, or Fitzgibbons that had came back, I wouldn't have foreseen them stepping into some huge role and making a huge difference for Tennessee next year. Xavier pitcher was Justin Lower, by the way. Lower. Went we to go. LSU. That's a guy Tennessee wanted badly. But, yeah, left-handed pitching, definitely something Tennessee may want to keep an eye on in the transfer portal. As far, far as position players go, only one so far that I think um, that I have on the transfer portal trackers, Alex Stanwich and, you know, Stepped away from the program this past year, freshman, so he's entering his second season of college. This is a guy that was lumped in with Dylan Dryling and Reese Chapman as this trio of freshmen that could do some damage as outfielders and at the plate. Now this kind of, I think, opens the door more for Reese Chapman to have a clearer role with Tennessee's outfield. Maybe not a starting role, we'll have to see, or so far away from next season, but your take on this situation and the outfield for next season. Stanwich was the, you know, the highest rate. All three of those guys were decorated, but Stanwich was the highest rated of all of them. Uh, and I think probably, again, all those three of those guys had a lot of buzz, but probably had the most buzz. So, you know, it's a loss. It's a super talented player. But, you know, I think Tennessee is still in a pretty good spot uh, from a depth standpoint in the outfield, even with young guys. Obviously, they lose Jared Dickey. They lose Christian Scott. I anticipate they'll have Hunter Inslee back. You know, we'll – you never know for sure. You know, he's a guy I wouldn't be just stunned if he went in the back end of the draft. And certainly if he wanted to sign an undrafted free agent deal, he could. But, I, you know, I anticipate him being back. Um, and then Kavara Steers is the other guy that, you know, I don't know if it'll be designated hitter or right field, but I think he'll have a major, major role for Tennessee next year. So more than anything, you know, it's a bloated depth. It's a guy that was talented enough to make an impact at Tennessee. And I think it probably just adds a little emphasis that, hey, Tennessee – needs to do some work in the portal at outfield. They don't have to do an overhaul. It's not like if you don't just land a stud, uh, it's like, all right, they're gonna, they might be in some trouble here, which is kind of how I feel uh, about shortstop and then maybe third base if Zane Denton uh, goes to the MLB draft. But it, it does feel like they probably need to add a veteran veteran bat there. You know, you'd probably prefer it to be a right-handed bat just because uh, those guys they have in there, Dryling, 
Chapman uh, tier is all left-handed, and obviously Chapman's lefty too. Yeah, uh huh. <laughs> so uh, they're they're heavy on the left-handed hitting there. So you would kind of hope it'd be a right-handed bat, um, but obviously we'll see what happens there. And uh, I still feel, even with Stanwich gone, I feel good about the young talent that Tennessee has in the outfield. Yeah, absolutely. Moving to the infield, you know, Maui is going to the draft. Zane Denton is interesting because, you know, I didn't know what was going to was gonna happen with Zane Denton, but based off his, I mean, end-of-season Instagram post, the thank you, Tennessee baseball, thank you, Vol Nation, kind of felt like a farewell post in a sense, and you don't know what's going to happen. MLB drafts a month away, but if Zane were to leave, Tennessee going to have to go to the transfer portal to fill that shortstop and third base spot again, or do you think Jake Kendrow could be a guy to step up and play one of those spots? I think Jake Kendrow could step up and play one of those spots, but you're going to add competition. I mean, I don't see – obviously, you have Jazz Love at shortstop too, but – and I mean, uh, Yeah, I mean, you have uh, – but that's just my point, though. You have guys yeah. there, but – and Kendrow, again, I think is talented enough that he could – you know, you don't know. He could step up and have a huge offseason and grab one of those spots. But you better have some competition because there's not a whole lot else to point to uh, those spots. So I think Tennessee will, um, you know, to me, third base is the more interesting one. Uh, Zane didn't came to Tennessee. The intention from day one was to be here one year, improve your MLB draft stock, go to the MLB. And I would think he'd be a late round draft pick, uh, but we'll see. You know, I wouldn't close the door on him coming back. But uh, at the same time, Wofford's Ryan Galaney has been a guy Tennessee has pursued from, you know, the second he got into portal, a uh, guy hit like 383. He was one of the best players in the SoCon each of the last two seasons. He's a utility guy, but he played third base his whole junior season. He's a guy uh, that could fit there. Um, and then Logan Chambers is uh, obviously another guy that's back, utility guy that hasn't really broken through for Tennessee, um, has more eligibility. But again, kind of a guy that I wouldn't be surprised ends up into portal either. So we'll see what happens with him. Tennessee definitely needs bodies at both those spots. So I would expect them to add a player at both positions, certainly one at shortstop, and certainly Galaney's been a huge target for them. So if they were, even if, you know, Zane Denton comes back, uh, you know, I think you, the draft's still two weeks away. I think Tennessee's pushing hard to try to land Galaney now. And if you end up, Denton wants to come back or, you know, it, it comes to that where he can come back and you recruit him to come back and he does, you kind of let the chips, you got to figure it out when they get there. But I don't think Tennessee kind of like the basketball situation. Tennessee wasn't going to sit around and wait for Olivier Kamwa and Josiah Jordan James to make decisions. I think it's kind of the same thing with the draft here where Tennessee's not going to sit back and wait for Zane Denton uh, to make a decision. If he comes back, they'd love to have him back. Uh, but you know, I think they're going to, they're going to be active in, in the portal at some of those spots. Probably the only position we haven't mentioned that Tennessee will probably go after in the portal as catcher they did it last year didn't work out as jack alexander ended up signing with an mlb team that i think that was kind of a surprise to tennessee but you got cal stark returning you got charlie taylor returning at the moment we'll see if he enters the portal or not but i mean cal stark is what he is he's a great energy guy great locker room guy he's a good defensive catcher he improved a lot as over the course of the season but the bat just wasn't there. Maybe it can be next year. We've seen flashes from him. I mean, heck, he raked in fall ball, and he looked good at the early part of the season. Maybe he could become a dude still in 2024, but I feel like Tennessee's going to add a catcher and probably one that will be the favorite to win that job, if I were just guessing. Yes and no to me. And, and you say last year it had him, it didn't work out for him. It's been two straight years it didn't work out for him. They had Matt McCormick from Xavier two seasons ago, and 
he didn't end up or made it to campus quickly and decided that uh, he wasn't going to play baseball. So uh, Tennessee's had very bad luck in the transfer portal with catchers. I do think they'll go after somebody. I mean, they at the very least need to add depth. Um, and, you know, obviously there could be something that slipped by me I haven't seen. But, you know, at this point, I haven't seen a catcher in the portal that I'm like, oh, that guy's definitely better than Cal Stark. So I think Tennessee's going to add somebody or at least pursue somebody no matter what. But do I see somebody, you know, out there or, you know, heard names with Tennessee where it's like, oh, yeah, they, that's a huge upgrade for Cal Stark. Not really. Um, so at the end of the day, I, I would think they'll add somebody that would compete with Cal Stark, you know, at the very least is maybe starting one weekend. I guess at the very least is starting a midweek game, but more likely is probably guidance, you know, at least getting a start in the midweek. Uh, that's something, you know, a lot of colleges do. Tennessee did earlier in Vitello's tenure. They haven't done it the past few years. Uh, with Pavlone Russell and then now Stark, even though there was a lot of uh, a lot of shuffling around the catcher spot this season, obviously. Mm-hmm. It wasn't just a, the Cal Stark show all year. Uh, but uh, the growth Cal Stark stowed defensively, you know, I think that's the most important thing uh, for a catcher, especially one in Tennessee's program when the pitchers, there's not a ton of emphasis on getting it quick to the plate. So uh, I think that's somewhere Tennessee will add someone, but I would – slow down on thinking that it's just going to be Cal Stark is uh, the second catcher next season either. I think, you know, he's going to be able to compete. And, uh, you know, certainly, I, like, I, like I've said probably two times that I've rambled here, I don't see anybody that's just like night and day better than Cal Stark and someone that Cal Stark can't compete with and, and possibly be Tennessee's number one catcher again next season. You think Ryan Miller could improve his role? in Tennessee and have see that expand a little bit in 2024 I mean we didn't see any defensive action from Ryan Miller maybe a midweek inning if I had to you know think back on it but dude's bat is just other level yeah I think that's the problem is you know the bat's good I think the bat's good enough to get him in the lineup but defensively I think he's you know been by far Tennessee's really fourth best catcher this year because I think Dickie and Charlie Taylor were both better than him and you know he was like basically the bullpen catcher two years ago. Uh, so I'm hesitant. You know, I'm going to need to see him be a lot better defensively before I think he's going to become a threat to earn mid or to earn weekend uh, innings or weekend starts at catcher. But he's probably one of the more, I'm glad you brought him up because to me, he's probably one of the more fascinating players on the roster because the bats there. And I think good enough to make an impact at this level. It's just kind of like, where does he fit? Yeah, that's a good point. All right, Ryan. Well, a lot of transfer notes that we got to today. Any final notes here before we wrap up? I don't think so. I think, you know, we've we've gotten into the gist of it uh, You know, with Tennessee having some of these guys transferring, and obviously it was already going to be active in the portal to begin with. I just expect it to be uh, the most active transfer class Tennessee's had to date. I don't think it'll go over the top, uh, you know, retooling things. But, you know, what, they brought in two guys two years ago, or three guys two years ago. McCormick didn't end up making it. Uh, and they brought in, uh, what, five guys last year. I think it'll probably be a little bit north of five this year, guys they bring yeah. in in the portal. And uh, obviously we'll see how some of this other some of these other moves shake out. And uh, certainly it'll be a busy offseason, and we'll have everything to keep you up to date over at RTI. That's right. Actually, I got two more questions for you. Okay. One's a little bit longer than the other one. I'll ask the long one first. What's Tennessee's biggest need? Of all the needs we've talked about in the transfer portal, what's the most important one? That's a good question. I think it's some combination of shortstop and just right-handed bats. Uh, you know, I just I just point to shortstop and I'm like, that's that's an area where you're just gambling big time if you're trusting Jake Kendrow or Austin Jazlove to be your starting shortstop next season. And like I said earlier, 
guys have made jumps in all programs across the country, but certainly in this program, they guys have made huge year over year jumps. And I'm not rolling that out happening with those guys, but that's a big gamble when you don't really have any other options on the roster to play shortstop. And it just goes back to what we said. It's already been a little left-handed heavy in the lineup this year. A lot of the guys that will be back and maybe stepping into bigger roles are also left-handed. Uh, I think that's where maybe Galaney from Wofford would be a big get because he's right-handed. I, I think they need to balance that out. And, uh, you know, I say all that certainly adding quality pitchers is going to be important as well, but I just don't, I just don't really worry about that as much. There's just any pitching thing with Tennessee. There's just like a trust that I have that or a confidence that I have in Frank Anderson and Tony Vitello that they're going to make the right moves and they're going to get Tennessee's pitching staff in a good spot. Uh, obviously there's a difference between a good and elite spot, which, you know, it might've been with Chase Burns coming back. Uh, but to me, it's just, uh, I have a lot of confidence, confidence that Tennessee will be good pitching. Um, and it's about getting the offense more up to par and more up to the standard of most teams that, that you see in Omaha. Well, Frank Anderson's track record certainly shouldn't discourage you from what Tennessee's pitching staff could be in 2024, even with all the departures. That's for sure. Last question here. Does Chase Burns pitch in the SEC next season? It feels like a, a, a circus going from town to town. And every a new every day a new team is the is where Chase Burns is transferring to. And I don't know. I guess the odds game. Uh, I'll say yes. I mean, the, the buzz has been around Vanderbilt, LSU, and TCU with Burns, and the recent buzz has been more with TCU. But you know, like I said, it feels like that thing changes. That thing's changed frequently. Uh, where Chase Burns is going to transfer to? So considering the fact that I've heard three names kind of serious or three schools kind of seriously thrown out there and two of them are SEC schools. I'll play the numbers game and uh, I'll say, yes, he ends up in the SEC. How about LSU, man? Winning the world series with just a couple of good pitchers. They got it done. They lost 24 to four on on Sunday, but then come back and spanked them in game three. Did you watch last night's game? Uh, a little bit. I did. I didn't catch the entire thing, but no, you're right. It's, it's, it's impressive that they clawed their way out of the loser's bracket with, their lack of pitching depth and you know certainly what a what a job you got to point to that Scott Woodard has done LSU's athletic director he made two hires in the mm-hmm. offseason following to you know the 2020-2021 academic year his women's basketball coach won a national championship in year two and his baseball coach won the national championship in year two and heck the the biggest hire he's made the football coach won the SEC West and beat Alabama in year one so that's the best athletic director in the country from uh from my uh, view of things, and and certainly LSU is gonna is back to being not that there was really any time that they weren't, but they're back to being one of the top programs in the SEC, and it kind of feels like for the time being that's uh, the SEC runs through Baton Rouge in in the college baseball world. Uh, I don't know if you saw the end, but it was like the eighth inning, and Dylan Cruz came up, and the announcers were like, "This is gonna be Dylan Cruz' final at bat as an LSU Tiger," and he hit like a double or something. Triple, maybe I think. Maybe, well. I think there were two more at bats for Cruz after that, though. Oh, so he got he got another. It was one. just one, but the triple was the second one. They were like, "This is the last one," and then the actual last one was a single. So there was like two, at least two, maybe three, where the announcers were saying, "This is going to be Dylan Cruz's final at bat," because LSU just kept just hammering yeah. that Purnell guy from Florida in their bullpen. It was ugly. I think we all just, you know, always talked about how bad LSU's bullpen was, but once Florida got you know, once Sprout and Waldrop pitched and their good relievers threw on game one and Caglione, if he doesn't have his stuff, they were in big trouble and we saw what happened. So 
LSU wins the national title. They were the most talented team. I think it's fitting. That's that's it, my... it was kind of like the College World Series series. I mean, a little bit of a version of what we saw in Florida Camden Knoxville, to your point just right there. Like Florida's pitching more depth and some really good guys. But then they got to Sunday and Caglione was bad and they had used their best, you know, their best bullpen arms. And yeah, all of a sudden they're pretty dependent on uh, Caglione being good, in which he was very bad that day in, in Knoxville. He was not very good yesterday. So uh, you're right. Um, I thought Florida and LSU were the two best teams all year. Personally, I thought Florida was the best team all year. Um, but certainly LSU probably had the most talent. And uh, they'll be headed uh, – or they win, the, they win the College World Series and uh, certainly the most storied college baseball program, at least the most storied SEC baseball program, uh, reclimbs the mountain and gets back to the mountaintop. There you go. The exact same thing, but, you know, you get the point. <laughs> yeah, I got you. That's going to do it for this Tuesday morning edition of the RTI Press Pass Baseball Podcast, reacting to all this new offseason news here at the beginning of the Tennessee baseball offseason. For Ryan Chumperd, I'm Jack Foster. As he mentioned earlier, go over to RocketsUpInsider.com's transfer portal, Tennessee baseball tracker, to keep stay up to date on all things Tennessee baseball here with the transfer portal, whether that's departures and incoming transfers as well. Again, for Ryan, I'm Jack, and we'll see you next time. Thank you.